0: The following resource is from Cambrian Park Baptist Church. For more information, please visit cpbchurch.org. The following lecture was recorded in a classroom-like setting in which only the lecture was recorded. Because of this, the participation of the classroom cannot be heard. When someone asks a question or makes a comment, there will be a brief break in the audio. Once the question or comment is finished, the lecturer will begin speaking again. Thank you for understanding, and we hope you enjoy the message. Well, let me start, let me start with two books, one on each side. Um, Greg Strawbridge is a Presbyterian pastor. He wrote uh, The Case for Covenant, Covenantal Infant Baptism. Um, it's probably one of the better, more contemporary pieces on, if you just want to get a handle on what they... Bo- we want to know... We want to be truthful and understand what other perspectives believe, right? We don't want to twist it. We want to know, well, what do you really believe? And then we always want to do what? We want to take it to Scripture and say, is this what the Bible teaches? Um, I've heard so many comments over the years about different denominations, and usually it's a, a, um, a remark that's in jest, and usually it's wrong. Like, they don't believe that. Coming out of the Catholic church, um, I, I realize most evangelicals have no idea what Catholics believe. Um, it's actually a much more complicated um, belief system than we give credit to. Um, but this is one, if you said, I want to read one book, this would be it. Um, the other book that I would strongly encourage, don't read this alone. You would read both together. It's Believer's Baptism. Um, it's edited by Tom Schreiner and Sean D. Wright, both professors at Southern. Um, and it's excellent. It's probably, the again, the best compilation and they start from the beginning and they move all the way through it's 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 more detailed, some pretty heavy theology, but you can skip some of those chapters. So these are your two books. Um, they'll be on the final exam, so make sure that you read them in advance and and I don't have Cliff notes for them, okay so feel free to look at those and if you want a copy, I will buy it for you. Um, baptism and the Lord's Supper are really they were really big for me. Um, I came to a saving grace into the Catholic Church, and so uh, we're going to learn what the Catholic Church teaches on baptism, and it is significantly different than what we believe as Southern Baptists. And so coming out of the Catholic Church, and before I came here, um, I wanted to know what is baptism and what is the Lord's Supper. They were really important to me because I, I, in reading scripture and reading my catechism, I couldn't make a match, but I didn't know what the answer was. Before you make any changes in your theology and then you decide to make a major decision in life, spend a lot of time in prayer and dialogue with people in this church, right? Do a lot of good study, a lot of good reading. Um, The founders of our faith, the patristic fathers, the apostolic fathers, they spent centuries studying this. So I think we can be patient and spend a few weeks or months. So this was very personal. Before I became a Baptist, I wanted to understand. I spent a lot of time studying baptism, the ordinance in particular. It was called a sacrament then. We call it an ordinance now. Those are mostly words that we use to be careful of certain things, which we'll talk about. And the Lord's Supper were both very important to me. Um, So I've been looking at this and contemplating it for about 30 years. Um, I'm not going to give you 30 years of stuff. I'm just going to try to bring big pieces to you that you can go, I can grab onto that and really get it. Okay, um, so before we go there, why, why is it important, so not just baptism, but for our faith and practice, why is it important that we understand well what we believe? Why is it important, first of all? Baptism, we're going to do a little, maybe some eschatology, because I hear a lot of dialogue about eschatology. Um, why is it important as Christians? Why is it important to examine the things that we believe? Yeah. We really want to get that. I mean, so there are major doctrines in our faith that we want to get right. And baptism, we would not consider a tier one where we're going to break with someone, but it is tied into salvation and soteriology. So it is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Um, so we, we want to know what we believe and, and that that aligns with Scripture because that's how we're going to live our lives, right? Your doctrine shapes practice. What else? Very good. Thanks, Bill. Good. Yep. That's right. That's right. So we have it in the Word. He's revealed it to us. He's revealed it to us that we might actually know it. Good. Yeah, Tina. Thank you. No, you're absolutely right. Be able to, if I am discipling a woman who is just coming to faith, or if we are raising children, yeah. faith, these are questions that are going to come up. Good. And um, we owe it, it's not always going to be like this, but for things like baptism, Lord, the Lord's like these are questions that we deserve an answer. Good. Yep. Yep. Hope would it, would go it goes well for you. <laughs> and, and, I mean, this would happen, um, to us specifically about Baptism. We attended a church that were Thomas asked him about, about it, and it was, and the answer from the pastor was, You're, like, it's too complicated for <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Yep. Good. Very good. I mean, we, you wanna know what you believe? When I was teaching at De Anza, I had lots of Catholic students, and they would come after Ash Wednesday and they'd have uh, the sign of the cross on their forehead and I'd say, you're Catholic? They'd say, yeah. i said, what's that doing on your head? I have no idea. <laughs> and I, not all of them, I'd say, you know, you should really know why you have dirt on your forehead before you walk around campus, right? Um, we don't, we don't wanna have a blind faith. God does not call us to a blind faith. He calls us to an objective faith uh, where he has revealed himself in his word that we can know we can know, so most of our most of our ignorance is vincible ignorance, it can be overcome with the Holy Spirit and the Word and community. Good so uh, most of you would agree that it's important to examine the beliefs that we say are true, the beliefs that the doctrines that actually shape your faith um, and, and we're not talking the, about you knowing these at a detail where you are going to spend three years writing a dissertation on, but Every Christian is supposed to be discipled in the faith, hopefully from a very young age, so that when they hit you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, they've got these things down. They know why they believe them in accordance with God's word. Okay, Tradition can be a very dangerous thing. It can be glorious, too, if the traditions are in line, but it can also be that you say, I believe this because this is all I was ever taught. Um, I remember Joshua, when I was witnessing to him, um, pretty heavy at 13 and 14, uh, I was seeing no movement in his life, and he said, this is all I've ever known. I said, all right, then you know, what, what areas can we press in hard to try to get you to see things? And so we spent a couple years looking at all kinds of things. Um, but, but we're supposed to do that for those that we love, certainly our, our children, ourselves, and then members of the body of Christ, right? Um, which means we can't be lazy, which means I'm thankful you're here, right? Because it's, it's Wednesday night, and you're probably thinking, man, well, I'd much rather be at home. I, I'm thankful you're here. Um, why, why do we baptize at all? Why? right? Church has been doing it for 2,000 years. Good, good. You know, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Baptism is not an option. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 28? Remember, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, therefore what? Come on. Say it with me. Make disciples of all make baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all he commanded you to do, right? So baptism is in the Great Commission. We cannot not baptize. If we, if we say we're not going to do baptism, it's so controversial. 2,000 years, they haven't figured it out. We're not going to do it. You're going against Christ-specific words in the Great Commission. It is a command to baptize. He said it. Therefore, we must do it. And that means we must know what it means, Lori, and then Brandon. I will try hard to do that. Some James 2:31 page here said to them we can baptize every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, we're going to we're going to hang out in Acts two in a little bit if time permits, Brandon. No, it's good. Is that what it means, Brandon? Are we sure? You're a good Southern Baptist. That's a good answer. Yep, yeah, that's what I think. I think you're right. Many would say you're not. Um, so you, you're a member here, visitor here, in the evangelical circle, what we call Baptistic circles. Um, you, that means that you believe, we'll look at what's called credo, Baptism Believers' baptism is probably easier to understand. Um, why are you if you're not a believer's, ba- you don't, I, I, we don't want to know that. I want to have great dialogue with that. Um, but why, are you a, why do you believe in believers' baptism? Why do you believe in that? If you're a member here, that's part of our, our statement of faith, and Lori. Good, see, so you're getting really detailed on me, though. You're, 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 you're right, you're 100% right, you're right. Yeah, there's, there's problems with infant baptism, right, that we'll look at. But why are you, and I'm not going to say you now, but why are you, why do you believe in believer's baptism? Why you? Proclamation that I understand that Christ okay, okay. Okay. <laughs> Throw it down. God said so. Most of you would say, but that's what the Bible teaches. And you're 100% right. Um, If you were to um, say, listen, give a brief biblical theology on the redemptive story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and bring it to somebody and say, now I want you to read through the New Testament and tell me what you think of baptism. You're going to become a credo-baptist. And that's just going to fall out of the text. Um, I'm going to argue that you have to work really hard to get something else out. And theologians for 2,000 years have worked really hard and created some pretty interesting systems in order to land where they landed. But believer's baptism, credo-baptism, is what the Bible simply teaches. And again, I do believe that on fundamental doctrines like baptism, which is something we have to practice, God is not going to confuse us. I don't think he wants that of his children. You know, when, as a parent, I didn't want to do that with my kids, so I tried to teach things very basically. It doesn't mean that there isn't great depth to baptism or doctrines of our faith, but um, it shouldn't be complicated, okay? So hopefully you believe in believer's baptism because that's what the Bible clearly teaches. Um, so do you think that different views on baptism are gospel issues? I've already tipped my hat on this. So that if you believe in believer's baptism and someone believes in infant baptism that, and you must excommunicate them and you do not consider them a brother or sister in Christ. Does anybody believe that? No, I hope not. I, ho- I hope not. We're in big trouble because most of the people I read are pato baptists <laughs> um, Some of my favorite authors over the past 500 years are Presbyterians. Um, that said, if are we then able to say that it's not important can we make that leap? If it's, not, if it's not an issue of fellowship and excommunication, do we then say, well, then it's just not that important? No, not at all. So we want to be really careful. Um, I've actually heard both arguments that this camp says we can't fellowship. I don't believe that's true. I do believe that you can't be in the same church because baptism shapes ecclesiology. It shapes how you do church. So that's gonna, we'll, we'll look at that hopefully in a couple weeks. But it absolutely is important. <laughs> And so we don't want to diminish it because it's not a, what we'd say, a tier one gospel issue of a of, of breaking fellowship, okay? Because I've heard that too, so it doesn't really matter. In fact, the EV Free Church allows Paedo and Credo Baptist communing together. Um, a, a friend of mine's a, a pastor at an uh, um, EV Free Church in Felton, and he has a couple. He said, it's, I said, how do you do that ecclesiastically? He goes, it's a nightmare, and it must be a nightmare. I mean, because they don't, they don't match in the same church. You can have a Presbyterian church and a Southern Baptist church, but you can't Bring them together well. Um, So it is important, even though it's not a tier one gospel issue. Okay. Can I do some writing? Two main Baptist perspectives. I've already told you one. So credo-baptism... I know I'm thinking why does that look so weird thank you yeah so credo you can probably get the idea what, what word do we get from credo creed and that means simply I I believe Okay. so credo baptism is believers baptism Okay? That, and we'll look at this in great detail, that it's by a profession of faith, salvation by grace through faith, that someone ends up being baptized. Um, Every major denomination within the pale of Orthodoxy believes in credo baptism, it's not the issue. Talk to a Presbyterian and say, well, of course we believe in credo-baptism. You, you cannot not, not believe it. It's what the New Testament teaches, right? So if you, if you walk down to the Presbyterian church down the street and you don't know Christ and you're an adult, you say, listen, I believe in Jesus Christ. I want to get baptized. They're going to what? They're going to baptize you. They're not going to say, oh, you know, you should have done that as a baby. You cannot join our church, right? So all the true churches are credo-baptistic in that they, they do believe and accept into membership believers, right? So the question isn't we're going to look at this. So I want you to know what you believe firmly, and we'll look at that. But the question is, well, how do we get to infants, or how do we get to non-believing young children? How do we get there? And of course, that is. Peda baptism. And paedo is in the Greek, it's pace, which means child. So. We are a credo baptistic church. We do not accept pedo baptism, right? Pedo baptism is the baptism of a child or an infant without belief. Now, that's a very complicated statement. Luther would say, I disagree. Calvin would say, I might disagree. Zwingli would say, I disagree. So we'll talk about how this, they work it in um, and how, how we try to get faith into a, into a baby. Um, because the, all the way up through Luther, they realize you can't separate the two. We've got to have faith and baptism together. So how do we get the baby faith? How do we squeeze it in? And um, we'll, we'll, we'll look at that. Okay. So you are credo. You're not paedo if you are Southern Baptist. If you are Presbyterian, you're both. Okay. Um under paedobaptism you have two general strains. You have those who believe in baptismal regeneration. I promised I was going to write neatly. Look at that. Not even close. Ah ha ha uh, well, all my students at De Anza would disagree with that entirely. Um, Paedo-Baptists are going to fall into two. The, again, I'm, I'm making some really big statements. Under each of these, there are 20 or 30 routes you take, right? So I'm going to make some big statements. They're true. They're just um, simplified. A Paedo-Baptist believes in baptismal regeneration, which means what? What's that mean? What's baptismal regeneration? Catholic, Orthodox, Lutheran, Methodist. Methodist, Timmy, didn't you come out of the Methodist church? Lutheran. Lutheran, Same thing. All right, you're baptismal regeneration. Were you baptized as a baby? There you go. Uh, uh, You didn't get in as a baby. (laughs) They brought Tim in and they're like, no, we got to wait on him. (laughs) Bring him him back in kindergarten. Give him another year. (laughs) <laughs> Obviously, their theology was not very good. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, a paedobaptist who believes in baptismal regeneration believes that in the baptism itself, in some capacity, the child is saved. Okay, now that's again that's general. Depending upon where you land, it's a very different way of how they get saved. Okay, but when someone says, "I believe in pedo-baptistic regeneration, baptismal regeneration of babies," they're believing that that that. Event in and of itself, in some way actually saves the baby okay the Church of Christ is so interesting, yes they're they're like, yeah, you're absolutely right, yep, no, no, you're right, no no um non baptismal regeneration. Pado baptists long, long way of saying those who believe in, in baptizing babies, the, the Reformed tradition, Zwingli, Calvin primarily, said we baptize the babies, but we do not believe they are saved. Okay. We're going to spend most of our time on that because it's the most complex, it's the most complex of the of the doctrines of baptism, and it's the closest we are. You know, someone said, Who are you closest to in your theology? as a Reformed Southern Baptist Church, with the exception of their church polity and baptism, it would be a Presbyterian church. And so it's a huge issue for us in terms of trying to understand that, okay? So why, why do you like, If they don't believe that, it's, that they're being saved, it's like does sense. Oh, see, that's a great question. Now that, that, And that is the question. What, what then does it mean? Right, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into Zwingli, Zwingli a little bit. Zwingli was the guy. It's not Calvin. Calvin just wrote on Zwingli's coattails. He's the guy that, that made this massive shift after 1,500 years of, of teaching. So, Okay, so when, you're, when we're talking baptism, we're talking credo, believers, pedo, infant, child. You're either both or you're one, right? We're one, we're not both. All right, any, any questions on that? All right, can I, can I talk to you about Credo Baptist system. You look at my nice little system back here. I got a towel. I'm doing this because my, my eraser is so covered with gunk that all it does is smear. I'm sure I told you this story before, but for those who are new here, when I was teaching at Deans, I taught at De Anza for 11 years. 11 years and. And I had a chalkboard, a wall of chalkboards, and I taught economics and political science, so I was doing lots of graphs. And I tried color chalk, but color chalk's nasty. And, uh, and so I put in a request to have whiteboards, so I could use and then do all kinds of color graphs. And they said, oh, you're getting whiteboards next year. Mr. Booth, I was so excited. I come back, they put in brand new chalkboards. <laughs> My students thought it was fantastic. All right. So, credo. Um, I, I forgot what your handout looks like, so forgive me if I'm, if I'm off it a little bit. I'm going to give you a definition. You ready? If it's on there, then you can just read it. The practice of baptizing those who are able to make a conscious profession of faith. All right? The practice of baptizing those who are able to make a conscious so they're aware of the profession they're going to make that there's suitable knowledge through teaching the revelation and the Holy Spirit to say, yes, this is what I believe. Okay? So hence, credo, creed, I believe. Um, so I went down and I tried to cut these notes way down. Um, but I, I want to hit this. It's a, it's, a, it's a small issue. It's not a major doctrinal issue for us. But we, if you've been to a baptism here, what do we do? Where do we go? When we baptize. We go in there. We got If you haven't seen it before, it's really cool. We got a little pool back there. We actually can get it hot enough where it's kind of like a hot tub. There are no jets, though, but we can get it nice and hot. Um, we do full immersion. Why? Why, Sarah? Good. 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 So... The word baptism, baptizo, literally means to submerge, to go under, right? So it's, it's a transliterated word that we use in the English. Um, when you read baptisms, even in the Old Testament, what, what did they do? They went underwater, right? The proselyte, the, the Gentile proselyte becoming a Jew was baptized underwater. John the Baptist went to the Jordan, and what did he do? They went under the water. When he baptized Jesus, what did Jesus do? He went under the water and then he came out and what happened? What happened on that glorious day? The Holy Spirit descended, right, and God the Father said, this is my beloved son with whom I well pleased, right? He wasn't sprinkled, he went under. The word itself, all the episodes in the New Testament, they never bring, it's really fascinating. There's not a single example in the New Testament where they bring water to the person, they actually go to water. And I think I mentioned this, if I didn't, with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? They got baptized when he what? When he saw water. But certainly there was enough water in the, I mean, this guy's royalty, right? There was enough in there to take a little cup and do a little uh, sprinkle and in inside, but they wanted to do it under, because this, this is a common practice. And that's, that's really not historically disputed. It's disputed by some Presbyterian pastors who I, again, want to take scripture and and work it hard but it's not it's not disputed okay Um, sprinkling really didn't come into effect until constantine and the empire and citizenship required it right because if you're going to baptize hundreds of thousands of people it's going to be much harder so let's start throwing water around right my first baptism my first baptism in the catholic church i was sprinkled as an adult and the priest came by and hit me in the eye a couple times i'm like wow And then I came here and <laughs> I said, I got to get baptized, real baptism. Um, so I am a true Anabaptist. I'm a true Anabaptist. Um, okay, so I know that's just a little shoot off, but, but it is, it's important in terms of what it means, Sarah, and we'll, we'll, we'll hit that. So the meaning then of, of credo baptism in our church, what, is it, what does it mean to be baptized what does it mean to be baptized? Somebody said it earlier in terms of, I'm looking for a general. We'll talk about some of the three or four characteristics of it. But what when we get baptized, what's happening? Are you being saved when you're baptized? We don't, we don't believe that. Okay, public profession of what? Of your faith in what God has already done on the inside, right? So... We believe, we do, uh, maybe we'll heighten our, our love for this ordinance. It is a sacred moment. I love baptisms. It's one of, the, one of the things I enjoy most as a pastor. I love baptism days. It is a beautiful event where we bring someone before God and man, and that person is professing their love for Christ, right? But it is in response to the inward work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has washed that person regenerated them, made them clean, okay? So it's a, it's a major distinction we have with many other denominations that actually put faith into the process itself, that something's happening in the actual event itself, which we'll probably won't get to until next week. Uh, Paul writes in Galatians chapter three, verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You have put on Christ already, and therefore you were baptized into Christ. Galatians 3, 27. So it doesn't save us. Baptism does not save, but serves as the outward expression of the inward reality of the believer's salvation obtained through what? Say it. Through faith. Through belief. Through their credo, profession. Right? We will never separate faith and baptism. Why? Because it doesn't, it's not separated in the New Testament ever, ever, okay? Okay, so the inward reality includes, um, uh, there, there are several, but I'm gonna give you the four biggies, ready? We're gonna have, you know I like to draw poorly for you, so more poor drawing. Notice this guy's big smile. Number one, baptism in the water represents The internal unification of that believer with Jesus Christ. Right? Union with the Lord. Okay? Being baptized does not unite you with Christ. Being baptized testifies to God and man that you are united with Christ. Okay? Number one. Can I give you a couple verses? Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Listen. Paul. It's writing now, saying, past tense, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You are united with Jesus. Reiterated in greater detail, Romans chapter 6, do you not know that that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So we believe that unification—we're unified in His death and His resurrection. In fact, you've heard me say that, haven't you? Um, if you've heard, seen a few baptisms, that they—what do they do? They go under the water, and what? What happens to them? Metaphorically, they die. Right? As Christ went into the tomb and died, they go into the water and they die. And just as Christ rose on the third day in fulfillment of scriptures, so too do they come out and they rise. Right? Now that's already happened. We believe in that person's heart, but we are now it's it's a physical sermon. It's kinda like communion. We're we're doing something physically to represent that truth. Brandon? You just scratching? All right. All right. So, union with Christ—that's probably the biggest one. But there's another. There's several other verses that will give us another one here. Here's a here's a good one for you. Let's see if you can figure this out. We'll do a little. Uh, what is it called? Pictionary? What is that game? I know this is 20th century here. These guys are all gonna have big smiles on their faces because they're super happy. All right, what's happening to this guy? What is this? Do you know? Yeah, it's a shower. My shower head's broken. i got to get it fixed. We don't sprinkle. But I'm, I'm not going to be able to draw a lake or a pool very well. You're not going to have any idea what it is. So. But he's being cleansed, right? So we believe that in the purification, you are when you are entering, baptism represents our purification from sin. You're clean. You're clean. Acts chapter 22, verse 16, which we'll get to in several months. He said, that, you should have laughed at that. The God of our fathers appointed you to know His will, to see the righteous one, and hear a voice from His mouth. Verse fifteen: For you will be a witness for Him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Okay. Now you can see how even a verse like Acts twenty-two verse sixteen, where someone say, "Oh, it's the water." that washes away the sin. And we're going to look at several passages over the next few weeks where you can see how we can move in different directions. So um, one of the things that we do, um, and we've taught here for years, is we believe what's called an analogy of faith is how we interpret Scripture. We use Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? We want to make sure that we're holding on to the whole batch. You can't let one piece fall out, okay? Um, You should remember this, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them what? Mark just read it, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? So we are not, we're not post-dating this once you get baptized, after you're baptized, that happens before you get baptized, this represents that, all right? You are purified. Um, Another one, how about this? You should know this one. What else does baptism represent? Yeah, that you are, you're part of the body of Christ now, right? So this is entrance. Baptism has from, we know from the Didache and some of the writings of Tertullian that, that from the very early stage of ecclesiology and church life, baptism was the means by which people came into the church, right? It was the, it was the public profession. It says, yeah, you are, you're now one of us. Come in and be part of us. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, if you remember how That section ended after Peter's sermon. So those who received his word were baptized and there they were added that day about 3,000. They were added to the church. Baptism and adding to the church. Um, I'll give you one more. There are several, but I'll do this. I need to draw here. Let's see if you can figure this one out. That's a mass, not a cross. Stop it. Come on. That's a boat, not a watermelon. (laughs) That's water. What is it? You're unified with Christ, you're purified from your sins, you become a member of the church, and baptism represents passing through judgment. What, is that bad? Who, do you, who got it right? Just laughing because it's right. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I said it's well, that's not even fun then. You don't even have to guess. It's Debbie. 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, Sorry. No, it's all right. Um, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So we have in 1 Corinthians 10 and 1 Peter chapter 3 gives us, 1 Peter chapter 3 deals with Noah passing through judgment and, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 talks about it in the context of, of passing through the Red Sea. But there's an understanding that when you go through baptism you are, you're moving through the judgment of God, right? He is judging Christ instead of you, you come out and therefore you are no longer judged. You are no longer subject to judgment, okay? So as credo-baptists we believe that all this is happening. I want to be really careful we want to know that this has happened prior to baptism. In the New Testament, the timing on many of these events is a little different. What they all happen, with the exception of Acts chapter 8 and, and Philip with the Samaritans, they all happen at the same time. They all happen on the same day. So you don't wanna, we don't want to separate them by you know, a six-month-old and then they're when they're 13. We don't separate them by years. Okay, so unification with Christ, purification from sin, added to the body, passing through judgment. That's good stuff, is it not? I mean it's it's beautiful, Debbie. Yeah. there um, anything of brilliant and understanding of life and situations, but, but that's something that's something that's yeah. that's No, it's a great question. I don't know if you... So, what Debbie's talking about, many denominations and churches have what's called what? An age of accountability, right? And where... There's nothing in Scripture, by the way, that has anything like that in it, but there are some churches... I think MacArthur's actually a big advocate of age of accountability, that until a a child is to a certain age and that age is not set, um, they're not going to be subject to God's judgment. Um we believe I'll just tell you what we believe as a church that um we would not put an age on it. Um I I have been hesitant. I, what's the youngest person I baptized? Do you know? No. No. I know I've done. How how old was Emma? 10, 11? Yeah, 11. Yeah, I mean so what what it's a great question, Debbie. What do we have what do we want to know? If we're practicing credo baptism, believers baptism, what do we need to know? What are some things you'd want to know? If someone said to you, "Hey, I want to be baptized." What are you going to say? To try and understand their true belief and mm-hmm. what their exposure has been and what their te- you know, what their education is mm-hmm. supposed to be, you know, who's teaching them. So yeah, a lot of questions about that. L- their understanding. They're going to have to know the gospel. They're going to have to know they're sinners. They're going to have to know that salvation is only by grace through faith in Christ. They're going to have to know these things. And it's not just here. It has to be knowing them. Who best can determine that? The parent. right? The parent. right? That's my first question. I'm going to be really, we're going to go after the parents loving and say, what are you seeing? I mean, because any kid that's been in the church long enough, they're going to pare it back to you exactly what they know you want to say. In fact, Mark Dever at Capitol Hill Baptist, I completely disagree with this, but they generally, they have a general rule in their church that they will not baptize anybody who's not out of the parent's house. 17, 18, 19, 20, and I, we were out at a conference there years ago, and I raised my hand, and I thought, what, what, what is that? Where are you getting that? I The emphasis was, in the house, you're still going to want to please your parents. Therefore, it may not be legitimate. Okay. Maybe, but maybe at 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, they are and they're saved and you are preventing them from being baptized. That to me is a much greater mistake in my opinion. So I think that we want to be very careful, but that's, that's extreme. Bill. Good, very Good. Why, you should have been there. You could have given that answer. That's <laughs> a much better answer. That's right. Tina? Um, I will say that, like, when it comes to like, a certain age, the way that I've looked at it is that, for me, I've had to think about a child who may never make a verbal professional on hmm. Correct. Correct. We can't say God cannot save a baby in the womb. God cannot, you like, can't limit his grace. Sure. So it's, it's a, and, and that's my problem with the age of accountability, is it, it limits God's grace. Yeah. Uh, he, he's capable that he would save a child of any age. Yeah. Yeah, and so when we get to the... Uh, the Presbyterian paedo Baptist perspective, they're really careful about what they say is happening there. Um, And so we want to be careful, too, in terms of, I mean, (laughs) what we're looking for, right, is a a profession that matches a life. We're looking for that. I I was always with the boys looking for fruit. Um, Kirk and Brandon both... (laughs) <laughs> they both lovingly rebuked me saying you baptized us too early which is really funny um, and I said well listen we're reformed so you were, you were predestined to be saved before the foundation of the world so it doesn't really matter I'm good theologically you're in trouble um, maybe maybe not uh, what I saw happening in their lives was a real conviction of sin and that was huge for us not guilty because I got caught but a sense of guilt because God is holy. Those are shifts you want to see, right? As we were praying together each night and, and both Brandon and Kirk uh, on certain evenings were very convicted and they started, you know, petitioning God for, for grace and mercy. Those are, good, those are good things to drop. And then seeing that in conjunction with changing hearts of service and love, right? Those are big ones for us. Um, and if Joshua were here, he would, he would tell you, I did not see that. 15, 16, he was baptized at 17, right? 17, help me here, it was was 17, yeah, I think it was 17, it was not long ago, Um, and and, and, uh, we had, you know, it's dialogues all the time, right, we're just (laughs) dialoguing and dialoguing and dialoguing, Um, and he said, I believe it's all true, and he did, but he didn't know the Lord, he believed it all. Yeah. Like in our groups and sharing and, you know, every aspect of everything that he was a part of, all of a sudden you could just see mm. how the Holy yeah. Spirit was working in his hard and that reality for him was there. Before it was very quiet, kind of unsure, well mm-hmm. I'm here because I'm just here because my own family's here. Yep. Yeah. So this is huge, right? So one of the reasons that we want our children to be active, vibrant members of a local community is that. Because the parents, you're going to be biased. I mean, I wanted my, my kids baptized at five. I wanted them knowing the Lord at five, right? Um, but having people around you say, well, what are you seeing? I say, no, I do not see it at all. Well, hopefully they'll stay out lovingly, but you can go, okay. I don't either, and you're confirming that. And then when we did start to see it, we had people saying, hey, we're seeing major changes in Joshua's life. So that's exactly how it's supposed to work in the context of a family. Very thankful. Okay. Um, let's do uh, the administration of this. So we believe that... Now, see, I don't even know what's on your, what I made for you. Isn't that ridiculous? What do I have here so I don't, I don't get you laughing at me again? Um, Oh, so that's on there. Okay, good. So look with me at the administration. When you think baptism, you can't, don't ever peel it off to the side. Baptism in the New Testament is always in conjunction with several other things. The gospel, the Holy Spirit, the hearing of the word, the confession, repentance, faith, baptism, church membership, without time lag, go together, right? And so one of the reasons that we, when we talk about baptism as credo-baptist, we always talk about it with all these other things that are around it. So why do we do that? Because that's what the New Testament teaches, right? You don't have people being baptized out in the middle of nowhere with no knowledge of what the gospel is, no mention of the Holy Spirit, no repentance, no it's happen. It doesn't happen anywhere in the New Testament, which Obviously, put some weight on some of the other doctrinal perspectives well, w yes, absolutely, Debbie. This is a crown in case you're confused, yeah, diadems here, and a little bit of gold, okay, so. Here's our little lost fellow. And he is very sad. We'll give him a little bit of hair here. i not so sad. Why is he so sad? Why is he so sad? This represents Christ our King, the kingdom. He doesn't know the Lord, right? He doesn't know the Lord. So his whole life is based upon the pursuit of an idol of some kind, all right? So these are our waters of baptism, and I'm gonna pile a bunch of things in here. We wanna get this guy who's very sad because he doesn't know Jesus to this guy who's very happy. That's the Shekinah glory of God, not hair standing up, all right? Who's very happy because he now Knows Jesus, so unlike some of the Credo Baptist denominations who will say all you got to do is get them in the water to get them to hear, we are going to populate this water with several different things. Um, and again, if it's on your on your sheet, do I have? Did I delineate for you? I did. Okay, good. So one thing that's key here. This is we do believe that baptism is, is an objective work of God. Right? It is something that God does. But we're going to say that he does that in conjunction with the subjective response of the believer. One of the major arguments by a Presbyterian is that we deny God's absolute authority to do what he's going to do objectively independent of the person. The Catholic Church makes no apology for it. They say that's exactly what God does. It doesn't matter even if you believe, your parents believe the church, anything. We're We're gonna say God's gonna do that. We're gonna say we absolutely believe in the objective work of God in saving the sinner and bringing them through baptism and and the, the subjective response by the believer. Okay, does that make sense? I, I see some, sorry, I don't want to lose you on this because this is going to be a primary distinction between the credo-baptist and the paedo-baptist perspective. Okay, God, in order to move through the salvation process, which includes baptism, God is objectively working in us. We don't do it independent of God. And we respond to that objective work. There's a subjective response to it. I don't just sit there dead, well I am dead until he makes me alive, but once he makes me alive, I don't sit there doing nothing, right? Now alive in Christ, God moves my heart to believe and do certain things, okay? Okay, so one of, some, we can populate this with several things, but some of the major problems we've had for the last 2,000 years is what are these things? Um, we will start with the objective work, and so again, I'm, this is not an order of salvation, we did that uh, uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago. I'm talking about baptism and all that will surround baptism, okay? So in order for baptism to even be contemplated, we will say you've got to have the gospel, right? The gospel has to come down. We would say this is an objective work of God, right? I mean, we're talking right now about Paul and, and Silas and Timothy and Luke, and they are objectively being sent out by God, and they are proclaiming the gospel, right? Okay? So before I can get over to here, the gospel has to be proclaimed, okay? So in addition to the gospel, I'm going to have to have the Holy Spirit changing the heart, right? Because the gospel proclaimed, apart from the Spirit, lands on dead soil, right? Okay. Once the Holy Spirit, so the gospel comes in, the Holy Spirit enables us to hear this. We have hearing we over Here we would also call this, we'll mix this as the, the efficacious call of God where God effectively calls the believer. Now you're reformed, so this is no problem for you, right? Why do you believe what you believe? Because God made you alive and effectively enabled you to hear and call out to him. He called you first though, right? He called you and then you responded to that call, okay? So we would say that these are all, I'm going to draw a little dotted line here. These are all the objective work. The gospel, the Holy Spirit, and the calling. That's God doing a work in you to get you to salvation. right? And the subjective response to that or the outcome. So I want to be really careful here. I'm not not arguing that, that salvation is what theologians call is synergistic. It's not you plus God doing something to be saved. God saves you by grace through faith alone, period. There's no work involved. And when God saves you, you're going to actually be engaged in that. Right? You're going to be you're going to be moved, you're going to be convicted, you're going to repent, you're going to confess. There's going to be a process in you. He's doing the work. There's going to be a subjective response to that. Okay, so that response, he opens the hearts of his elect. The elect here, so these are all now the elect here. The elect will what? Once they hear what happens, they will confess, right? Th- what are they going to hear that causes them to confess? What are they going to hear? The gospels is proclaimed. The Holy Spirit moves their heart. They hear. They're called by God to hear. And why do they go to confession? And confession, by the way, you do not want to separate confession and baptism. Because the New Testament does not do that. One of the reasons that we have, we, we encourage people to give a testimony, is to testify to their confession of their sins before a holy God. Right? So... Confession comes as a result of the objective work of God. But are you confessing? This is the subjective response to God. It's the believer who confesses their sins. Why are they confessing their sins? Because God has enabled them to see that God is holy and they're a sinner and therefore they need salvation. Good? Okay? So we're still we're trying to get to this guy. Gospel, change in the Holy Spirit, hearing, calling, confession, and then following confession, there will be what? There will be repentance. What is repentance again? Brandon, can I be on this side or am I out of view on this side? Sorry. I was given instructions. Yeah, so we've confessed that we're sinful, but there's going to be a response to that. The subjective response to the gospel is turning away from it, turning away from sin, and turning to Christ, right? Good. So we have confession, we have repentance, and now drop it in for me you have faith. What is your faith now? What are you believing? You're gonna believe the gospel's true. You're gonna believe everything that you heard about the holiness of God, the, the depravity of your own heart, salvation in Christ. You repent. This is this is this is faith. This is belief. This is your credo. Your faith, you believe. And therefore you get what? You get baptized. Yay! Made it. And then we'll add one more here. Because once you're baptized, you get added to the church. And when we think church, we don't want to think building. We want to think people. Okay. So when you say, so here, so now we made it on this side by God's grace And the subjective response, now we're in union with the king, right? So we're going to come back here. All of us now in the church are in union with this king. When you say you're a credo-baptist, that's what you're saying. You're not just saying, well, I believe in a believer's baptism. Of course you are, but that's far too simplistic. You are saying that all of this has gone into the baptismal process. You didn't go from here to there without this. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, good. But was to membership until I completed confirmation. 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 Gotta be confirmed, yeah. So that's we'll we'll look at that too. That that came out of uh the Reformation. The Catholic Church actually adopted it as well. I went through confirmation. Cause you got to know, you got to know if the if the water stuck, if there was any, it did it did it actually take right? Tina. Yep. How many Anabaptists do I have here? Am I the only Anabaptist? You well, you you're an Anabaptist. You were baptized. Are you an Anabaptist also? How many? You are Anabaptist? 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 It's interesting. You go to any Southern Baptist church, and there are a lot of Anabaptists in Southern Baptist churches. Uh, Anabaptist means to be rebaptized, right? Anna to re. Actually, we don't believe in rebaptism. The Bible doesn't teach that. You are baptized once, <laughs> right? So if you're if someone throws water on you, that's not baptism. If you're put in water and you don't really believe, that's not baptism, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Timmy. Yeah. We'll wait a couple more years. We'll get you in. Brandon. Yeah. 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 Most people who, yeah, if you take take Christ seriously. Brandon, I'm sorry. You had had your hand up. Again? All right, all right. I'm sorry. All right. Okay. <laughs> Stop scratching your head. Maybe Brent's just confused. Him. I don't understand any of this. Maybe I shouldn't have been baptized. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Go to go to Acts chapter two. Mark started us off there. We'll uh, we'll go there now. Oh no. Well, no. Look. So he's actually he's crying and he's he's sprinkled. How about that? I'm sorry. (laughs) All right, so everything that I just told you, if I just told you it, you should ask me what? I just told you all this. You should say to me, Pastor... Where's that in, in the Bible? Um, I'm going to argue that that doctrine of baptism, which I just drew, is in the totality of the New Testament, explicitly or implicitly. But there's not a single baptism in the New Testament that will violate that. I will argue that. I would say that the overwhelming number incorporated. It. It's surrounded by it, right? Um, we just did this several weeks ago, so hopefully you remember it. Acts chapter two, at Pentecost, right? Holy Spirit's poured out. The 120, they're in the, in the upper room. They, they're speaking in tongues. The crowd gathers. They think they're drunk. They say, no, we're not drunk. And then they, and Peter stands up, and what does he do? Remember, Remember, oh, I shouldn't have erased it. All right, what does Peter do? He preaches the gospel, does he not? I mean, he goes into great detail starting at, what, verse 14? Verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And then he proclaims the gospel, uh, drawing upon um, the Old Testament, culminating with David multiple times. Um, And so we have the gospel being proclaimed, right? I want you to notice in 30, verse 37 it says now when they heard this all those who heard the gospel proclaimed when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do? So what's happening there? The gospel is proclaimed and what happened? You found conviction. Conviction what else? What must they be doing? They're convicted and they say, what must we do to be saved? There, there, there are, are, that it's an implicit confession that they need to be saved. Otherwise, they wouldn't have asked that, right? What are you confessing if you, don't, if you, don't, if you think you need to be saved? What are you confessing? Right, so we have, we have the gospel. We have conviction. We have confession. We have, are they hearing? Well, of course they heard. They heard and the elect, the elect hear the call of God and so they want to know what must we do to be saved now back jump your eyes up to verse 21 so this this front loads it's in the sermon but it front loads the the how right verse 21 Peter said and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall what be saved and so he drops faith in well this is how are you saved? By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? So we're now, we're pop, we are we at baptism yet? We're not there yet, but we're, we're populating it with all that surrounds baptism. Look at verse 38. We're going to get repentance, baptism, and the Holy Spirit in verse 38. And the Holy Spirit. Verse 38 They ask, what do we do? Verse 37, Peter says, repent, turn from your sins, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for what? The cleansing, the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 47, what happens in verse 47? They're added to the church. Why is this so important? This, we're in Acts chapter two. Jesus had just ascended. The Holy Spirit's poured out. The gospel's proclaimed for the first time in this format by, by the apostle Peter and this is the paradigm. So the reason that Acts chapter two is so important for us understanding all they're baptized is this is the model. It has all the pieces to understand what baptism is. Luke was very intentional about order. He wasn't just telling the history. He was telling it in such a way that we will be able to bring pieces into future baptisms. So every single person that's hearing the story is understanding, well, this is what baptism is. So when I get to Lydia, and all I hear about is Lydia getting baptized and her household getting baptized, I go back to Acts chapter two and says, yeah, but this had to have been there. Why? Because this is the model. This is the model for the entire New Testament. Right, so... There's no baptism, I would argue, there's no baptism in the New Testament that's lacking any of these things because this is the, the template that's established by Peter and Luke. that makes sense? This so, is so, where they're publicly now proclaiming these things. Was it proclaimed that way before, like John the Baptist did? Well, so John the Baptist, remember, what was his baptism was a baptism of what? It was a baptism of repentance, right? This is a baptism of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, right? So, What I'm saying is that Luke put this here at the very beginning of Acts to set for us the model of what baptism entails. It's more than just water. It's more than you just saying something and then getting dunked. It includes the gospel, conviction, confession, hearing, faith, repentance, baptism, Holy Spirit, church, all wrapped up into one. It's fantastic, actually. In fact, if you said, I I want a good doctrine on baptism, I will say, read Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 47, and you got it. You got it, it's all there. Okay? So, again, not confusing. Not at all. Um, There are several others that, let me just, what's my time here? 814. Well, I didn't do well. I didn't do well at all, saints. Uh, am I taking time or am I going too fast? If I'm going too fast, tell me to slow down. Um, okay, let me just give you a few others. We, we've done some of these. We're going to do more. Acts is like the baptism book. Right? There are baptisms everywhere. Right? In fact, almost all, there are some other passages we'll look at, but almost all major denominations try to derive their understanding of baptism from, from Acts. Uh, Philip and Samaria, Acts chapter 8, remember? Remember? Philip goes out there, he proclaims the gospel, chapter 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip, they believed credo. They believed Philip as he preached the good news, the gospel, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Now, Samaria is a weird one. It's a a set-off. Do you remember when I preached this? What happened? What are we told later happens? Peter and John have to go because the Holy Spirit hadn't descended right? You need to know this. It's, it's the only time it happens in the entire New Testament. So it's the only time that there's a, a very brief separation, and there's debate, and I think I mentioned this from the sermon, there's debate as to what they meant by the Holy Spirit descending. Did he descend in the supernatural form, the charismata, the speaking in tongues, or was this actually, they were baptized, but they were in, weren't indwelt yet. There's debate on that, okay? The key is this, That's the only time there was even a brief separation between baptism and the Holy Spirit. The only time. And it was brief. It wasn't the baby's eight days old and then is saved at 15 or 10 or five, right? There is no time lag in the New Testament when it comes to all these things. So I should have put that up here. All of these things are happening together in a very very short period of time usually same day probably hours okay um remember peter at cornelius's house these are several of these are called household baptisms which we're gonna we're gonna have to pick apart when we get to the presbyterian theology because that's it's huge for them i think the scriptures argue very much against their position um Cornelius' house, what happened? Do you remember? Peter goes. You've got to remember this. If you don't remember this, I'm going to be very hurt. I'm going to be very sad. Peter writes, Luke's talking to him. All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter is preaching while Peter was still saying these things. (laughs) What happened? The Holy Spirit fell upon the house of Cornelius, right? Now, Now, so some will argue, well, the Holy Spirit fell, then they believed. Maybe. He had just preached the gospel, right? They heard the gospel. They believed the gospel. The Holy Spirit descended. They spoke in tongues. They got baptized, right? Now, I do not think that trying to manipulate order, I do believe there's an order of salvation. I think that our soteriology has to have pieces in order, right? Um, You're you're not going to be saved unless God calls you. So that's going to have to precede your confession. It's going to have to. You're not just going to confess and then God will call you. Right, God calls you and then you confess. So there are pieces there. But when we look at Acts in particular, we need to be really careful. Eastern writing was not systematized like the West. We do weird things with our, we expect Eastern Mediterranean first century authors to write like we write. Right? And I, I'm very much a systematized thinker. I write, my, my notes are like outlined. Ding, 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 ding. That wasn't Eastern thought. They didn't write like that. So, they were not saying, here's your, your order. And when we get it in the Bible, it's beautiful, right? You're like, oh, thank you. It's so easy. I get this, right? But they didn't write like that. So, we try then, we actually will manipulate doctrine because of the order that we see when the order really isn't even that important, especially in the original languages. In the Greek, you can do lots of great things with the Greek and throw the words all over the place, right? Okay. Um, Lydia is a tough one, which we'll look at again. Lydia. That's this Sunday, so hopefully I'll give some explanation. Not a lot on this. Um, it's amazing to me. I mean, the story of Lydia is so great, and yet <laughs> most of the time it's talked about in the context of baptism, and that's not the main point. That said, um, one who heard us was a woman, Lydia, named Lydia the city from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart, which is what? What's happening there? The word opened her heart. What, what happened? She was called, say it again, yes, the objective work of God. He did a work, he called her, she's listening, she hears, she pays attention to what Paul said, and after she was baptized, so notice what they did. Luke's saying, I assume you know now how this works. She was made alive, and then he jumps right to baptism because you're a thinking person, and he knows you're a thinking person. So he's not going to say the same thing over and over and over again. It would have taken a lot of parchment, right? So, and they wouldn't, he wouldn't have done that. And so Lydia is a big one for the Presbyterians. They say, look, see, the whole household, just like that, baptism. It doesn't match with the rest of Scripture. Um, the, Philippi, uh, the Philippian jailer, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks, um, they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Remember this after the miracle to all those who were in his house. The word was spoken in the house, and he took the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Who was baptizing his family? Those who heard the word and confessed and believed. And then he thought them the house took him over, he rejoiced. Long story short, and I'm gonna close on this. Anytime we try to take baptism and pull it out, a thread, you're gonna unwind the whole thing. It goes together. Right? All these verses, and we'll look at these in detail. We have to, to understand the Reformed theology on it. They're not, what's the great saying? Maybe you remember this, brother. Any text without context is a pretext for a proof text. Remember that? You know, I think Any text you take out of context is a pretext for a proof text. A proof text is when you're just going to a verse saying, this is what I believe. Right? We don't ever do that in the Bible. We don't want to do that in the Bible. We want to say, what saith the whole counsel of God? Right? Okay, so let me close on this. There is overwhelming evidence in the New Testament that those baptized, they heard the gospel, they understood the gospel, they confessed, they repented, they believed, they received the Holy Spirit without a time lag. Overwhelming evidence in the entire New Testament. So when I've, and I've spent time talking with, my Presbyterian brother saying, I need you to show me from the word of God because the, the text they use, I believe, are proof texts rather than the incredible weight in the New Testament of what baptism is. It's very clear. It's very clear. Um, so Sean D. Wright, who is one of the co-editors of this book, he is a, a professor at Southern he writes this, and this is an accurate statement. He is a New Testament scholar. He said, Among New Testament scholars, the view is increasingly widespread that infant baptism was not practiced in the New Testament church period. I wholeheartedly agree. Was not practiced. And I'm going to show you, in a couple of weeks if you come back, we're going to, we're going to jump into, we've got to do a little early church because that's where the movement came. It wasn't really practiced in the early church either until... Really, we're into late second, early third century. Wasn't formalized till the fifth century. So we're late. We're late in this game. Okay? Um, and there's some debate on that. But Okay, questions? Since I am, all, that's a good place to close. Bill. Will we come back to now? Oh, sure, we can. Yeah, 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 absolutely. We can? Yes, remind me. We will. It doesn't lend itself so much to the dialogue in terms of, it, it deals primarily with mode of baptism because we want to understand immersion. It doesn't deal so much with New Testament baptism because it was so different, but we can, yeah. Any questions about anything we talked about? I, I want it simple. Oh, I so want it simple. I want you to go, I got it, and I want you to hold it. Mom. Um, no. Yes, I do. So we make differentiations between a universal call and an efficacious or an effectual call, okay. right? That the gospel is to go out mm-hmm. to everybody right. who hears the ones that are effectually called by God. we won't hear it in a salvific sense, right? It won't be a saving sense. And I think one of the great dangers for young people is they hear it so much that it has that, in fact, Josh, he actually said this, it has that desensitizing, you know, you hear it over and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it, I know it, I know it, I know it. You know, and, and until the Holy Spirit does that work, right? It doesn't mean we don't preach it. We keep preaching it, we keep teaching it, we keep sharing it, and then the Spirit is gonna do I'm sorry, so, this is, so I'm going to pull an Eastern trick here. This is not an order, this is not the order of salvation. Okay. okay. Maybe I'll go over that in two weeks now give you what our perspective is on order of salvation. But I, What I want you to know is that when you talk about baptism, all of these are included. If you got that, we're in great shape. When you say I'm a credo-baptist, I believe that when I'm baptized, all of these are part of it. Okay, Good. Any other questions? You Made me a little nervous there, Mom. I mean, if I if I fail you as my mother teaching this, <laughs> I'm in really big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm violating the fifth commandment. commandment. <laughs> I mean, I'm just. In I'm a very systematic yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. All right. I'm You're sorry. Right. No, that's good. All right. Um, let me let me pray. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Um, this was very encouraging for me to have you here. Um, so. Um, let me pray Father thank you for gathering us here tonight Um, we are we're so thankful that you made this known to us through your word Um, and we're thankful Father that you've made this clear to us we recognize fully that if we understand this doctrine of baptism correctly that's pure grace it's not because we're smarter or because um, we've studied harder it's because you've made it known to us and so I pray, Lord, that you would give us great humility as we study this, that we would uh, want to know it so that we can do at Bilseter, that we can live in accordance with this accurate truth, um, that that truth will um, bring glory and honor to you, and that we can help others um, when it comes to this, especially brothers and sisters we have in other denominations that, that view this ordinance differently. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless this teaching time Press it on our hearts and minds so we don't forget it. Um, and then if you be pleased to bring us back in a couple weeks, we can go a little bit further. Um, I'm so thankful, Father, that, that this is a church that is credo-baptist in nature that we do baptize based upon um, credible professions of faith. And I, I pray that never changes here. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. Cambrian Park Baptist Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. If you'd like more information on our church, please visit cpbchurch.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for listening.